for December 30th, 2013. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 287. There only had to be one Scarface. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From Los Angeles, I'm Matt Rather. I'm your host, and uh, we have a panel with us to overthink all uh, all manner of year-end concerns, including, uh, you know, prestige movie season darling The Wolf of Wall Street, uh, as well as the Dogecoin heist scandal and in honor of the the wolf and dog uh related theme uh of this podcast we also have a canine question uh of the week uh for you (laughs) this week um but before uh before we get to that one last um one last plug for our our holiday <laughs> affiliate marketing promotion uh, that you're no doubt sick of by this point. But until the end of the year, you still have a couple of days as we record this to uh, to use um, our uh, any of our links to Amazon from our gift guide to buy yourself something a little uh, a little after um, a little after the holidays new year's gift for yourself or you know what if you're if you have a new year's resolution to you know i don't know tr- walk more or something like that you can buy any of the the tracker pedometer computer syncing uh things you can buy one of those scales that tweets your weight and shames you into going to the gym or something like that uh any any new year's uh resolution paraphernalia that you would like to buy you can uh you can get and when you get it uh through amazon we'd be appreciative if you used our uh referral code so that we get a small kickback for everything um that you buy i want to relate one small story from uh I want to relate one small story from last week because you'll recall that on last week's podcast, I actually read out from a list of things that people had gotten using the overthinking it referral code. And don't worry, it is not NSA-like, though the NSA knows what you're buying. Uh, we don't. We, uh, we only have a list of these things for purposes of accounting and knowing, you know, the, the, uh, the, affiliate fees that come from Amazon. So I, I read out, uh, you'll recall from last week, and, and Pete, you were here, you remember this, that one person had gotten the uh, the Babylon 5, the complete uh, Babylon 5 DVDs. You recall that, Pete? Uh, yes, I, I do recall. I don't think that Bester has been here to strip the memory from my... Uh, I'm, a, I'm like a P75 anyway, so he wouldn't be able to, to, to do that, but he would try. <laughs> so um, so uh, this, this, uh, this week, and I hope I'm not um, you know, telling tales out of school or giving, giving information about his movements uh, for purposes of triangulation by our listeners, but uh, uh, John Parrish... Overthinker and podcaster John Parrish visited Los Angeles this week, and uh, I spent an afternoon with him. We had lunch and went for a little walk, and I showed him around the bleeding edge, my little corner of the bleeding edge, a little bit. And uh, he revealed that that he had, in fact, bought as a gift the complete (laughs) Babylon 5. And this was the only one that got bought through our thing. (laughs) 
And, uh, <laughs> and so you're saying the Babylon Five purchase was an inside job? Was an inside job. And uh, and he he said, "Thank goodness my girlfriend did not listen to the Overthinking It podcast that week, or Christmas would have been ruined for her." Um, and I knew this was a I knew this was a risk when I I but I when I went, but I live dangerously. Uh, doing these, doing these weekly promos. Um, finally, just one Captain thought. Captain Sheridan, we all knew the risks when we signed up for yeah. this mission. We understand <laughs> the stakes of the universe itself. <laughs> Pete, you know, you know that that box set is humanity's last best hope for holiday cheer. Um, and if uh, finally, if you want an idea of of something to get that's not on the uh, uh, not on the gift list, my my relationship with Amazon has been uh, uh, completely altered by Amazon Prime, and they're doing a, a thing with a thirty day free trial. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. So if you want to stream, if you need in addition to Netflix and Hulu, yet another uh, streaming video service. Um, that has many of the same things that all of them have, <laughs> and also some unique things, uh, including that new John Goodman series. Uh, you can you can try Prime out for a month and see if you see if you like it, and get a lot of stuff uh, overnighted or second day shipped. Sh- second day shipped to you for free, which is um, definitely definitely when those second day shipments were uh, were kind of faltering around the holidays. I definitely was having a first world problem with that. All right, on to the podcast. Uh, gentlemen, panel, in honor of our, our canine concerns, uh, this, this podcast, um, and because it is the end of the year, who's the dog now, man? <laughs> in other words, would you please nominate a dog doge or canine of any sort, uh, lupine, lycanthrope, uh, being of any sort, um, to be the, the dog doge wolf uh, of the year of Wall Street or uh, of any other designation that you wish to do it. Name a dog, basically, is the question. <laughs> <laughs> First in the alphabet, drink because it's not Pete Fenzel, it's Matt Belinky. <laughs> Before I hey, answer, can we can we just yeah, Oh, yeah. sorry. <laughs> Wait a second. Drink because rather got the alphabetical order wrong. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> a comes before B. Usually. But in the Latin alphabet. <laughs> no, wait, that's something else. Jehovah Jehovah begins with an I. I'm so sorry. Ben Adams, I, mean, I apologize. Does it really begin with an I? I always wanted to fact check that. Because <laughs> well, that seems wrong to me. J J wasn't a letter in the in the Roman alphabet, right? That it was there was uh, vowel I and consonant I, and you know vowel I is the you know the E sound that survives in Romance languages today, and like consonant I started words like Julius or you know Juno or you know what have you. Um, all right, well uh, I, I apologize. The source of my error is that in my in my Skype window. Blinky's avatar is the one to the left, and I was just going in in reading order. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. But Ben Adams, something's down here. Uh, 
<laughs> don't react too well to having their names misspelled. Uh, who's the dog now, man? <laughs> I was I was trying to come up with a good good pop culture dog from this year, and the only one that came to mind is is I think a good candidate. It's the dog that is saved by Jonathan Kent and Man of Steel. <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, <Yes. laughs> Jonathan, when Clark Kent is unable to save his dad for some reason from the tornado, <laughs> and doesn't Jonathan say, "Hey, Kent, I'll go get the dog." That, that all the all the kids in the school bus should have been left to die, but God forbid anyone should let the dog be in the middle of the tornado, <laughs> <laughs> or just let Clark go get the dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah, he. I guess he could save it, but not without revealing his his identity, right? But that dog was pretty awesome, and it does survive. So you know, Jonathan did not did not fall in vain. Yeah, save save the dog is a. Uh, I guess that's a corollary of the the screenwriting principle: save the cat. But um, but do you save the uh, but do you save the Doge as well? <laughs> you know that if there was like a Man of Steel comic that ran for fifty years, about forty years in, they'd they'd retcon that like the dog was actually a long lost Kryptonian, like in dog form, and that it was actually really important for Superman to save the dog because he ended up <laughs> saving the whole like bottled city of Candalore or whatever that thing is called. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Mr. Mixiplex would be involved in some way. I'm just butchering these Kryptonian words left and right in these Superman characters, but there Krypto- you go. Kryptonian is hard to pronounce, much like the word Doge. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> uh, all right. If I go to Blinky now, will anyone be offended um, because I've skipped them? <laughs> Only the readers. Only the listeners, rather. Yeah. No, I mean, I'll make sure everyone is offended. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. It's Matthew Belinky. Who's the dog now, man? I was, you know, I just wanted to stop in Marvel for a second at, at Sean Connery's last gift to humanity because Finding Forrester was the last movie he made before he retired to his castle, which is, I imagine, somewhere in the Iron Islands. <laughs> um, I mean, that, that's which much, is, I'm imagining him as that dude, right? Yeah, actually, the Iron Islands, little known, is a tax shelter off the, the <laughs> coast of, of Westeros. Yeah. That's like the Bitcoin servers are all in the basement <laughs> of the Iron Island. Um, no, but but seriously, it's like so. So it seemed like kind of a forgettable way to like you know retire to, to end a great Hollywood career, except for that one line that really is the gift that keeps on giving. That, that may yet prove to be the most memorable thing he uttered during his like multi-decade legendary screen career. Um, so so you know, Fighting Forest are actually proved to be a, a, a great swan song. Um, so here's the deal. I'm going to go with, and and I seriously hope I'm stealing Pete's here. If I didn't steal Pete's, I only hope it's because he didn't think of it. Uh, the dog from Riddick. Space dog. <laughs> Space dog. <laughs> um, that, now, for those of you who did not see Riddick, first of all, uh, pause the podcast, go get Riddick, watch it, then come back, uh, because this is a this is a spoiler for Riddick. Um, at, at, he is on a, a inhospitable planet where everything is trying to kill him. A, sorry, A, everything is trying to kill him, and B, everything is computer generated. Uh, I don't know which is worse, but um, and one of one of the many aliens on the on the planet that's trying to eat Riddick, uh, played by Vin Diesel, is. 
is uh, Space Dog, which is basically like a normal dog, but like a little bigger and a little more computer generated, uh, but acts exactly like a dog. And they're they're sort of like you know wild and and, and wolf like. Uh, but then uh, early in the movie, like you know after you know when he's sort of building his own tools out of bone, and he he uh, he strips naked and poses in front of the the moon, and then sort of like you know basically rebuilds civilization from first principles. Uh, and one of the things he does is like finds an abandoned uh, pup. And raises it, uh, and it becomes his loyal like wolf wolf dog companion. Uh, and they engage in many computer generated antics, which I believe uh, that he he gets the dog to pee on some kale at some point, <laughs> as as like a gesture of contempt <laughs> towards like civilization, uh, which is exemplified by like hippie food. Like like, can you remember the exact food stuff, Pete? It's it's, it's definitely like some like overly processed, you know, like mango chutney. Yeah, it was a it was a crab like it was a crab dish, wasn't it? Wasn't like a crab macaroni or something like that. I remember it being yeah. like the most important scene in the whole movie, <laughs> right? <laughs> that the dog that the dog wouldn't eat the the crab food, the synthesized crab food. Yeah, uh, the, yeah, because the, yeah. The dog is his, his totem, his spirit animal, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think that's greatest greatest performance by a a, a dog like work of CGI uh, this year. <laughs> Man. Um, I wish I'd thought of that one, Matt. You thank you yeah, for saving no. me. I I would have failed all of you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what what did you pick, uh, Pete Fenzel, or as as Sean Connery would say, because I am committing to this bit. Who's the dog now, man? <laughs> so I wanted to pick a dog who is also a doge. And if you guys don't know what all this doge nonsense is about, <laughs> we'll be explaining that briefly. Uh, it has to do with a uh, – well, briefly. We'll be explaining that shortly, uh, soon. It has to do at with great, – At great length. Soon. At great length, <laughs> indeed. Soon, but at great length. Maybe not, not today. Maybe not tomorrow, but soon and at great length. So, yes, my, my canine of the year is both a, a, a wolf and a doge in the sense that he is both uh, of lupine characteristic and also the uh, elected chief of state or lordship of a country, <laughs> which is Rob Stark, the king of the north, is the doge, right? He's a medieval, he's a medieval lord of somewhat sort of uh, stilted... Uh, semi-democratic uh, empowerment, right? And he is also, and him and his uh, his wolf, Grey Wind, right, are the young wolf crashing down upon the Lannisters in this year's season three of Game of Thrones. And I don't think I'm giving anything away by saying that he was in the show. I think we all know he was in the show. And I think we all know he has something to do with wolves and that he's sort of a medieval head of state kind of guy. So there you go. Uh, if, you, if you did watch Game of Thrones this year, which I won't spoil, you will know why I'm giving him this award this year um so um with that said uh i do recommend the wikipedia page for doge not not the dis the fact that doge now requires a disambiguation page is pretty hilarious (laughs) and we'll get to that in just a minute Uh but uh but the wikipedia page for doge has a totally sweet picture of leonardo loredan from 1501 uh a doge the doge of venice uh, in his totally sweet hat with his point on top, and it looks like a string of mushrooms hanging from his neck. So they knew how to do it doji style back in medieval Italy. Let me tell you that much. <laughs> so, uh, uh, is there a difference between a doge and a dire doge? <laughs> a dire doge is twice as large and twice as ferocious, but lives in the northern reaches of Italy and rules like the Arctic. He rules the Alpine city states. Yeah, exactly. Most of the, most of the realms of the dire doges were annexed by Switzerland uh, and became cantons. 
Um, you can see them in the Wolf of Wall Street. That's actually <laughs> where uh, a dire doge is, is, I think, where all the money gets hidden in Switzerland. <laughs> um, well, my, uh, my uh, answer is a 40-way tie. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, it's a it's a forty way tie. I uh, I think one of the most uh, interesting trends of the year has been the ascendancy of of BuzzFeed, and so I'm awarding the Dog or Doge of the Year award to the forty most awkward dogs of 2013, which is a listicle uh, on the website www.buzzfeed.com, uh, where they I have heard of that could you share that website <laughs> perhaps or some sort of social media. <laughs> Yeah, if only there was like a button that allowed us to easily, easily <laughs> transmit that information. I think my mom would like that, and so would everyone she's ever met. <laughs> uh, you mean you mean like registered trademark that, right? You, you don't you don't mean that they would uh, that they would just like it. You mean that they would click the like button on Facebook? What's the I point of not- an emotion if there's no Facebook button to express it? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Must open the Doge Zuckerberg. <laughs> yeah. Um, the king, king of the king of the Doges. Uh, you know what? You know what? Nobody listed as their favorite favorite uh, dog of the year is uh, Brian from Family Guy, who who recently made headlines for probably the most shameless publicity stunt I've ever seen in my whole life. <laughs> Right. Does he? Does anyone still watch Family Guy every week? Did he d- reappear the following week? He, he was dead for one episode. They literally like posted like a sort of a slow motion sad music eulogy video on like the Fox website about like how sad it is that he died, knowing full well that in like you know two weeks he was going to be <laughs> back alive. Which I think just goes to show it's like it's really like a mutually antagonistic relationship between Family Guy and like the people who watch it only so they can complain about how I mean if you think that the Simpsons audience is like bitter about the about the Simpsons here in its in its third decade, I feel like the Family Guy audience really just loves to hate it. Maybe that's just me. Uh, I mean I haven't watched it in years. So I, I yeah. wouldn't know. But, One day uh, I want to rethink like what, like when when we sort of like soured on Family because there was a time when when Family Guy was like really exciting, like not just entertaining but like exciting. It really felt like something new, like it was like a new wrinkle on comedy. Um, and like so I was like, telling people, you got to watch it. You got to watch what Family Guy is doing. And and I've I've come to to actually like actively dislike it over the years. Um, I don't. I, I, I'd like to sort of put my finger on why we don't have to get into it now, but I'm gonna table that one. Yeah, all I remember is that you had the bootleg DVDs before anybody else had, because before they even came out with the legitimate ones, and we watched the heck out of those that first season or so, uh, just endlessly. Yeah, you had to uh, like go on eBay and like get get people who were putting them. Uh, right on DVD because the, the whole concept of watching TV and you know, we've been so spoiled over like the last decade, right? Just the idea that like you could watch any episode of anything, probably you know for 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 mere dollars a month, you know between Netflix and Hulu and everything. Mm-hmm. That like it used to be it used to be hard to see your favorite episode of Seinfeld. You had to like just like hope that they showed it someday and that you were home. <laughs> Don't 70. worry, they would, they would. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 quite often, but it was like you were kind of. At 
at the mercy of when like the television people wanted to show you your your favorite thing again. Um, and like you know, or like if you saw like a baseball game and it was a great baseball game, uh, you would never get to see it again. Like there was literally no way you could ever watch that baseball game ever again. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's, it's weird. It, it, I will never cease to marvel at the human being's capacity for like taking things for granted. He's <laughs> mull <laughs> over that one. We were, I was thinking of other times when we, when we binged watched things before binge watching was, was a thing, right? And we, I, I recall also on eBay Blinky, you got, uh, what, when we were in college, you got the complete third season of The Sopranos, which we wa- which came on one like extremely long play, uh, extra long play VHS uh, cassette, right? In which we binge watched in one marathon setting, uh, one day uh, together. Yeah, was that like literally? We like went on a, a vacation to a tropical paradise and yes. spent a large portion of the vacation in in the living room of the of the place that we had acquired well, so I mean, we have easy access to we the went beach. on vacation for a week we only wasted one day staring at a at a 17 inch well, television well, so wasted is a strong word to throw out there. <laughs> I know, we only we spent we only spent we, one day uh staring <laughs> yeah staring at a a you know 17 inch cathode ray tube television uh playing an extra long play VHS cassette of the third season of the sopranos from pretty much sunrise until sunset we spent the uh the rest of the of the the time you know i sunbathing or you know i don't know out exploring the tropical paradise of of uh central florida um, of mgm studios yeah. <laughs> let's be honest about about the nature of the tropical paradise it was like it was like mainly us in line for that 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 uh aerosmith roller coaster yeah that that was the good ride yeah, where like you you would you would hear love in the elevator blasted in your as as you literally lived it up while you're going down. That was a good up, uh, up and then down very rapidly. That was a good ride. That was before the renovation of Space Mountain, as I uh, as I recall. Um, so uh, yeah, that Aerosmith uh, linear acceleration roller coaster was the 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 good ride in all of Disney World that year. <laughs> uh, so. Um, the 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 dog related humor all relates of course to the uh to the wolf of wall street um and uh none of us have seen this movie except Pete so Yay! naturally it's a great candidate for the overthinking a podcast we're <laughs> we're returning to our roots uh for the end of of 2013 so uh Pete i guess just um as a question uh, to get us started for you, since you've seen the movie, um, I'd say, can you overthink The Wolf of Wall Street? Can you overthink <laughs> it? Or are you asking me to do it right now? Will, like, will you? I'm saying, will you overthink The Wolf of Wall Street? <laughs> <laughs> sure, of course. Well, I mean, the first thing I want to refer to it is as the Quap of Wall Street, but I don't know if you guys know what Quap is either. Uh, but it is one of the most remarkable scenes in the movie. Uh, have you, any of you guys played Quap? Is that the running game where you have to like get the combination just right to make his muscles move 
Yes, yes, it's a flash That's, running game where you have it's to use impossible. to manually control the muscles in a runner's legs and get him to run 100 yards with no opposition and no time limit. And, and let me tell you, like, I've, I've seen in the Olympics people actually run the 100-meter dash, and it's amazing how quickly they run it, but not nearly as amazing as like a video I saw on YouTube of somebody successfully making quap run in like a, <laughs> a fairly, which is like, that That was like more of a proof of like the, the dignity and, and marvel Marvel at the human spirit. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. once you realize how difficult Quap is, just the fact that like anyone could master it, um, really like it brought a tear to my eye. Yeah. So, so there's sort of a turning point. There's a couple of turning points in The Wolf of Wall Street that make it go from what feels like a pretty disposable movie to like a pretty interesting one. I didn't like it as much as American Hustle, but then again, we're not here to talk about what we like or what we don't like. Uh, we're here to talk about what we think and what we overthink. So, <laughs> one of the scenes involves Leonardo DiCaprio ingesting a a bunch of very powerful quaaludes uh, and then um, attempting to uh, get into his car and drive home. Uh, but he loses total motor control of his body. And you will probably see clips of this at every award show that is any good. Um, and also probably everybody will be making jokes about it because it is a remarkable scene of him like crawling on his stomach, you know, through the lobby of a country club, getting to a giant brick staircase and trying while sort of drooling and blankly and angrily staring at his Lamborghini or Ferrari or whatever it is, attempting to like roll up in a ball <laughs> after his attempts at walking have failed him and throw himself down the staircase. Um, so yeah, so the Wolf of Wall Street is a it, the first act is all about excess. And it's all about reckoning, and it's all about sex and drugs, and it's it's this. It promises a story that you would expect about an excessive and unethical, uh, hungry young man who sees or feels injustice in the class system and seeks to right it through ambition and bootstrappery uh, for himself and for those close to him. Throws away a good marriage for a bad marriage. Does makes all the classic temperance play mistakes that people have been making since like the eighteen twenties. Um, and then it becomes more interesting as he kind of completely falls apart. Uh, and I think Leonardo DiCaprio is at his best when he's being ugly. I think he's much more interesting as an ugly actor than as a pretty one. Uh, and he has some great ugly moments in this movie of sort of shrieking and crawling and screaming. Um, and I think that the, the most notable difference. I found it difficult to watch this movie and not compare it to American Hustle because they are two movies that ask a lot of the same questions and come up with a lot of very, very different answers to them. Um, It is a Scorsese movie. Uh, The Wolf of Wall Street is, unlike American Hustle, which is a fake Scorsese movie, uh, (laughs) it's just masquerading as a Scorsese movie. Of course, American Hustle is all about being fake, so it sort of makes sense. Um, But it is, and I want to, actually, I'll toss this question to all of you guys before I say anything more about it. You guys have seen Scorsese movies. Why is everyone yelling? Why is everyone always yelling and always well, angry? Because they have the to be time. heard over the soundtrack, which is like like a, a nonstop <laughs> a jukebox parade of like a pop music from like the decade where the movie takes place. Oh, so that's so all you're saying. All the music in Scorsese movies is diegetic. There's just like yeah. really loud music that's playing in every scene. And they have to be like, am I funny to you? I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. Am I here to amuse you? Is that – seriously, I don't know. I couldn't hear what you said. Uh, Hold on. Let me hit you with this stick so you talk louder. Um, I mean is there any other take on why people are always yelling in these movies? (laughs) Because they don't have to be. But they sure are uh, in movies in a lot of Scorsese. Like Raging Bull. 
and he's a raging bull. Of course, he's going to yell, right? Um, they don't or, yell or as much a taxi as driver. Right? He's a taxi driver. I mean, they're always yelling, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I guess I mean to sort of since obviously something nothing not much seems forthcoming. I think that we uh, I'll answer my own question, which I meant to do the whole time. It's kind of a douche move to ask a question knowing that I had an answer to it. That you're I was like the wolf of podcasting, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you're like the Kate Beckett sale of podcasting, Matt. Who's come here to slay me in your tight vinyl jumpsuit? Uh, uh, the Daywalkers, or oh, that's Blade. What is she? She's a, a Deathbringer. I don't even remember the name of Death Dealer. Death Dealer, I think, was the name, the subclass of vampire assassin that she was in those movies. Um, so everybody is yelling because nobody has any coping mechanisms for dealing with any of the bad things that are happening to them. Like, and that is like the big thing about this movie, about Wolf of Wall Street, is that it is about people who have real life problems and no freaking resources to deal with them at all. Emotional resources, social resources, for whatever reason, they don't have the capacity to confront their problems and and like assimilate them, think about them talk about them they you know it's like they can't have a meaningful conversation about their problems because their emotional pain is so immediate and so urgent that they must yell about it and in yelling about it they merely reenact it and make it worse right and so in in american hustle there's you know this great portrayal of the abusive relationship between uh jennifer lawrence's character and christian bale's character where she manipulates him and berates him and threatens him and sets the house on fire like multiple times right she's clearly totally irresponsible with the child but he is totally uh, at a loss in how to deal with her because she's terrible and awful but also beautiful and vulnerable but all you know and so she's she's totally she's got him right and she's able to 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 drive daggers in with softness as well as with with ferocity yeah but Um, i think it was it's critical that in that movie one of the very first things he says about her is the self-awareness of exactly that dynamic Yes, yes, exactly. Is that he understands exactly what's happening to him the whole yeah. time that it's happening. So, so there's nothing like that in The Wolf of Wall Street. There's, there's relationships that – there's like a scene where Leonardo DiCaprio like kneels shirtless on the bed and shrieks at his trophy wife, right? Like, or at, his, at his, his pretty wife. And like I don't mean to diminish the scene. It's a fine scene. But it's, it's that the characters are lacking in whatever sort of emotional toolbox is necessary even to endeavor upon such manipulations. And the coping mechanisms are drugs and sex and getting money right and and i and i don't i feel like i'm being judgy in how i'm saying this but the movie isn't i'm not judging the movie's short-sightedness i think the movie is making a point about how people see wealth uh and 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 the main i mean there's a very knowing final shot in the movie of an audience of people watching leonardo dicaprio talk uh, and, and the look on their faces is a look of all the pains that they've experienced in their lives and all of the reasons that they feel like they're, they're crappy people, right? And, and their desire to become awesome people. I mean, basically, The Wolf of Wall Street is very similar to the movie Pain and Gain in a lot of ways, if you guys saw that one. Um, yes. you guys, yeah, you saw Pain and Gain. And that, like, you know, Marky Mark's character in Pain and Gain has a, a, an overwhelming emotional need to be materially successful because he can't confront his own, like, shortcomings. He can't confront himself. He can't f- confront himself at all. He can't consider himself. He can't be alone with himself. He has to be either pumping iron, doing steroids, doing something, stealing stuff, being awesome, getting rich. Like, he can't stop. Or he'll he'll hate what he sees, and there's a very powerful scene in The Wolf of Wall Street where Leonardo DiCaprio actually stops doing drugs for a little while and talks about how he hates being sober and wants to kill himself, and it's kind of staggering uh, because the character hasn't shown that kind of 
you know, distaste for himself at all. Like you would, you would think of him as narcissistic throughout the entire movie. But in truth, you know, there's obviously, I mean, it seems obvious as you say it, but it's a discovery in the movie that there's a deep pain inside there, an ability, an inability to recognize the self. And this is a, a defense mechanism, a coping mechanism, a way of legitimizing a life that seems illegitimate, right? Is being rich. Uh, and doing whatever it takes to be rich, and the urgency and the need to be rich is realized in, I think, a very palpable and powerful way. Um, and I think that there's been some press about this movie. I think there was a letter written to the editor of some nonsense by an 18-year-old daughter of one of the guys who was indicted in real life in, a, in relation to these events that said that she hated how much it glorified the, the excess and the wealth. And, and Great. I was hoping you would bring that up. Yeah, and if you gonna, didn't, I was going to, I was going to bring it up as well. Ben, what were you thinking about that? So similar to pain and gain, actually, I was kind of wondering how that's portrayed. Cause in both cases, this is real life case where they're actual victims. And my yes. sense is that Wolf of wall street, the victim, they're not even in the movie. Cause like that was one thing that boiler room, which I know has been compared. This movie has been compared to a lot. That's one thing that boiler room did very well. Yeah. is highlighting yeah. that like these pump and dump schemes have actual like flesh and blood consequences. And my yeah. sense is that they aren't even they aren't even in the movie of Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. I mean, I the movie the movie actually makes some pretty interesting meta cinematic choices and like breaks the fourth wall and talks to you about the choices that it's making, which is that there are several times during the movie where Leonardo DiCaprio turns to you and starts explaining to you the illegal things that he's doing and the consequences that they're going to have on people and he stops. And he tells you that you don't care. He says he knows you don't care about any of these things that he's doing. That, he, that really what you want to know about is, you know, the salaciousness and the consequences and the, and the you know, the, the, the sex and the drugs. Like, he's acknowledging that it is difficult to narrativize the real-world effects of actual financial crime. And, in fact, it is difficult to narrativize financial crime in general. And as such, he's not going to attempt to go against the public perception of these things or the public experience of these things. He's not going to attempt to create something that is different from what the public is preferring and consuming and desiring, right? He's going to tell the story the way that people insist the story be told. That is the way that they want to hear it. And it's a, a lot of the time, you know, this has to do with messages of sales and how fraud happens and telling people what they want to hear, what they need to hear. But yeah, no, he totally, the, the movie makes no effort to portray the victims of penny stock fraud. Um, and in fact, it, it actually sort of sneers at the, at the idea that any of this is sort of really happening in a real financial world and is anything other than sort of the private experience of the people that are doing it. Um, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio's experience of trying to get down the staircase to his Lamborghini is the part of the story you really want to hear about, not about what it means to do an IPO for a shell company that has no actual products. Right. Like, I mean, that um, may be true, but but basically what you're saying is like the movie is indulging us. It's indulging these these lurid impulses that we have that like we want to see the excess. We don't want to think about you know sort of sort of like uh, like you know we we mentioned the Sopranos earlier, right? And there's another story about criminals, but you know when you watch the Sopranos, like what what you really want to see on one level is like you know how awesome it is to be in the mafia and to have all this money and to be able to like you know to take vengeance upon your enemies and like do what you want and like everyone's afraid and respects you. But at the same time, it's like you know if 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 the the art is to to put these things in context, it sort of doesn't have a responsibility to show the consequences and the victims and the fact that like you know Tony Soprano is not a he's not a good guy 
at the end of the day. No, and I think the last the last season of The Sopranos did a pretty good job of showing that all of Tony's work on his sort of emotional well-being was was trivial next yeah. to the undeniable fact of his evilness and then the ill will that he, the ill the ill will that he brings right. into the world, right? And the bad so, things and, that he does. And and you're saying that this movie in a very self-knowing way sort of hand waves away the, the idea that they would even attempt to to put that in context. I mean, it insults you. It indicts you. It says it's your fault as the audience that you don't hear about these things. But I mean, isn't that sort of like a, a tricky dodge of sort of being like, you know, like, oh, like, you know, I mean, you could easily like, you know, like Michael Bay could be like, you don't really want to see a well-rounded character. You just want to see like a girl in a bikini washing a car. So we're going to give it to you. And that doesn't make Michael Bay like a clever director. That just means that he's like exploiting the worst impulses of his audience. Well, I mean, I suppose, uh, although I could think of several ways that would be, could be done interestingly, but yeah. Oh, by the way, it's, it's the doge. It's not only a doge, it's a doge of the year, but, uh, but Ben, what were you saying? I was going to say that there's actually, I read an interview. I can't remember when it was sometime this year with Michael Bay, where he's basically like, yes, I do make movies for 12 year old boys. And they go and watch them and spend money on them. <laughs> like, what are you going to do about it? He's like, it's not my fault that people other than 12-year-old boys like my movie, but like, that's my target audience. <laughs> right, right, right. I think that um, it's tough. I mean, it's tough to say that, we ha- that, a, that a story has a responsibility to show a specific part of the story. Well, right, exa- right exactly. Right, like, because I've seen this thing, I've seen this article in a couple Facebook threads where, where a lot of people have, have sort of self-righteously, you know, have, have affected a lot of self-righteousness and said, I, I'm not going to go to this movie anymore now that I know that it's causing suffering to this poor... <laughs> I, I mean, Pete, you're laughing, but I'm not. But I'm not joking. And and you're right to laugh at the ridiculousness of of yeah. this sort of thing. But like, right? Like, um, this is you know, I don't know. Uh, it, is it the responsibility of all films to moralize about their their protagonists? Like, this, let's, the thing is, that's assuming this movie doesn't. This movie, immoralizes well, right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. on its yes, I, absolutely. I'll take a counter, a bit of a counter position, which is that I think there's at least a colorable argument that it's different when you're talking about a movie that had to do with real life people that purports to be about real life people than a complete work of fiction. Sure. So that the the Matrix doesn't have to show us the plight of the you know of the human organ farm, uh, the human electricity farm, because it's it's more about. Uh, I don't know, Keanu Reeves being awesome, right? But that um, something as, as that what something that is a uh, that's based on on true events that zero yeah, dark I mean, that zero well, dark thirty if zero dark thirty killers or something would be um, very different if it was about actual serial killers and specific killings. Sure, or maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know. I just I just I feel like. What is it – I mean, maybe, maybe I'm being a little cruel here, but what is it about the experience of the victim that necessarily makes it more instructive than the experience of the villain, right? Uh, and, and, this is, and this is necessarily – like, why is it that, that that's being wronged and suffering from being wronged is going to be a better thing to watch than watching the way that people do terrible things? Um, is the is the claim is it a consequentialist claim that because, that if the Wolf of Wall Street had someone who bought a penny stock in it crying that there would literally be like a real world effect on real people in the actual world who would suffer less penny stock fraud? 
uh, would that happen? Where are we saying that this movie? Are we? Are we just guessing at the consequences that this movie is going right? To have? Right? Yeah. But this is. I mean, I. You know, th- this is the problem with the internet, Pete. <laughs> this is this is it, right? That um, uh, that there is a that there there is this sort of extremely rigid mentality of ideological correctness, you know that that uh, that pops up, you know that that sort of this that that sort of X phenomenon does not address my pet issue, uh, uh, you know my pet Doge issue. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> <laughs> and therefore, X phenomenon is bad, right? Is ipso facto bad because uh, it doesn't it doesn't do you know what I uh, w- the kinds of things that I think ought to be done in in yeah. the real world. And- there's a great there's a great movie about this. It's called Footloose. <laughs> <laughs> this dancing is not is causing problems for this town, and everyone needs to listen to me because I'm on my soapbox. No, I interrupted you. Well, back. right, yeah, and and. And, and right that my pet concerns are more important than any other set uh any other set of of pet concerns pet doge concerns that that uh right that anyone else may have and i you know i'm talking about how i how i hate facebook and yet how i you know like the the audience to hollywood movies can't uh you know can't escape these um uh, these, you know, sort of anti-heroic uh, uh, protagonists, uh, I can't escape, you know, loading it up several times a day and, and making myself furious. Um, but, uh, but right, it strikes me, yes, it strikes me that, that your question really is not rhetorical. It actually ought to be, ought to be answered, right? Like, and especially if you consider that the good of the good of a film is sort of storytelling, right? Like, or the good is a, is an artistic good, right? Is the, the, the kind of good that a work of art has, which is different from the kind of good that a work of, of, uh, charity has, right? Or a work of, I don't know, uh, uh, making some, uh, you know, making a, a tool or a, wall or a house has right like the we we recognize a different set of goods for stories and why would it be a better story why would it do the things that a story can do better or uh be be a better story or be a story that that um that does that uh accomplishes story accomplishments better you know if it uh Right, if it sort of represented everybody's perspective. Well, Matt, I I mean, I too go on Facebook occasionally, and the crux of the matter, as as far as I'm sort of reading reading these posts, uh, you know, and and the people, and I think it's it's critical to 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 keep in mind that the people complaining about the movie probably haven't seen it, and to me, it comes down to like this movie glorifies this behavior and glorifies this character, and he should not be glorified because he was a bad dude, and so I, I sort of turn it back to Pete, and just like, is that a fair characterization that this movie is glorifying this character, and like. It, it's just sort of a wish fulfillment to watch him, you know, because like clearly there are many scenes where like he is throwing around money like water and, and living the good life. And, and, you know, so, sort of like, I mean, you, you could look How at How dare you like, throw around water? 
Blinky. <laughs> how dare you? Do you know how many people around the world, no joke, have no access to potable water? I, I, I mean, you know, that, that's... <laughs> Check there privilege. are starving children Check in Africa. Privilege. W- Facebook.com slash Fenzo, let me let me reframe Belinky's question. Fifteen years from now, our stockbroker is going to be quoting this movie to each other about how awesome it is that they made a bunch of money today off like poor rubes or something. Yes, that, in, in that's the same exactly way. My question <clears throat> in the same way that like people want to be like, yes, that is my role model. This is what makes me want to get into investment banking. <laughs> right in the same way that like uh, what is it, Wall, well, Street, well, Wall Street? You know, like, greed is good. Greed is good. <laughs> right, everybody wants to be Gordon Gecko, and you can say that they missed the point, or you can say that that was you know that that. I mean, you know, it's interesting that that like does. You know, Oliver Stone is—is is he out to make people hate Gordon Gecko, or is he kind of glamorizing that? I mean, yeah. you know, that that charismatic uh, type of character. Well, 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 hold on, glamorizing. I think right is would be. I would object to to such a question by saying that glamorizing is the wrong term, right? Things, things have glamour, you know, that, that gla- a certain amount of glamour inheres in the thing. And I say that sort of pre, pre any kind of moral calculation of whether it's, it's a good uh, or a bad thing. Right. And, and we're, I, I'm afraid that we're right back to the donkey effing conundrum, but like, you know, <laughs> you, you want to see it, right. You, you want to, uh, you want to see it. And I, I, you get a certain amount of pleasure, uh, yeah. out of, I mean, out of seeing that. So that saying, saying that the film is at fault for, for satisfying, the the wishes that you you think you're better than and not you that 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 you know um one well yeah and it's not everyone either that a certain subset of people who i am remaining friends with but unfollowing on facebook <laughs> think they're better than right is uh uh you know i don't know you think you're better than me you know who are you to judge check your privilege i'm gonna go i'm gonna go tumble this so I'll, there are many ways in which the movie addresses these many questions. Um, but I guess the most obvious one is just to start with the title, right? So the title, The Wolf of Wall Street, is positioned in the movie as the title, like diegetically within the movie, as the title of a Forbes article, uh, which I believe the original uh, title of it was uh, – um, the stakes, stocks, what's the difference? It was an article that ran in October of 1991 in Forbes magazine by Rula Kalaf and was a hatchet job on Jordan Belfort. It, it just rips him apart, right, and talks about how corrupt he is and how extravagant he is and how his security business is total nonsense and charges absurd uh, fees for things. And, and it is this just, this just polemic against him that highlights uh, the, its trashy merchandise and uh, the sort of skept- sketchy nature of his business. And in the movie, when this article runs, you know, Jordan Belfort, Leonardo DiCaprio character, is incensed at how much it has, it has uh, insulted him after he felt like he gave the magazine a pretty good idea of what his business was like. And then the effect is that hundreds of people start knocking down the doors to come work for him. Right? Is that like this, this, this article comes out and he wasn't even very well known at all. Like very few people knew who he was. And Forbes decided to do this big piece on him about how terrible he was. And after doing this piece on how terrible he was, tons of people flocked to him. 
and I would say that in the same way that the movie is about the people who flock to him. Like, like the movie is about this phenomenon of being drawn to these horrible people. And does it glorify him? If it did not, if it did not have the glorification of him as part of it, then it would fail to address its subject. So I would yep. say in that there are sort of two ways. There's kind of two kind of levels of of being kind of like anti-establishment in this sort of sense. Uh, one would be to say we need to look at the good stockbrokers and the bad stockbrokers, and we need to punish the bad stockbrokers, and we need to make sure that the good stockbrokers are then like freer to do good work. Or we can say the whole system is unjust and unfair, and should and and even the the very discourse of it is in itself irrevocably tied to this cruel and and terrible and irreconcilable injustice. You know, we need to salt the dictionary, right? We need to eliminate any thought that this might be the way that these people even work, right? There's an idea that if we establish the dialectic that that creates the conversation between greed and responsibility, between law and freedom, you know, between excess and, uh, and corruption, you know, if we, if we, if we do not totally expunge the very way we talk about these things, we are complicit in its worst crimes. Right? It's this idea that, yes, this is a temperance play about a very glorified guy who does a lot of drugs and ruins his family and his life by doing a lot of drugs and doing a lot of crime and being a bad person. Right? And it's like, does it glorify him? Yes. It glorifies him to show why people are drawn to him, why they are attracted to him, why polemics don't work, why temperance plays don't keep people from drinking. This is a movie sort of about why people love Scarface. Um, right, and, and it's and it's a problem, right? It's a problem that people love Scarface, but I don't. But the question then that I would raise in 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 answer to the questions that have been raised here is: Do we think that by lessening the number of movies in which, like, there only had to be one Scarface, right? <laughs> like, it's not like all the movies were Scarface. It's not like every. It's not like if we reduce the number of Scarfaces in the world, there will be fewer Scarface fans. Like, like it. It is this one movie can have a hugely outsized, magnified, you know, sort of opinion. You could even say that by reducing the number of Scarface-like films that glorify violence, we reduce people's immunity to them, so that maybe a super Scarface would emerge who would slip through the cracks, right? Like, um, I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's like, I mean, this is, I mean, Scarface, I think, is a great example because it's kind of a minor Brian De Palma film, right? Like, it's not even all that great as a movie. It's floppy. It's a remake of a of a gangster movie. It clearly doesn't quite accomplish the goal it sets out to do, which is to tell people not to do drugs. Right, like, and 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 uh, it's it has I mean, this amazing. Is that the goal? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> it, right, I mean, like Scar- Scarface sounds like a like a real spiritual kin to the Wolf of Wall Street, right? Because it's about the the sort of the glory, you know, the the, the sort of glory and the downfall are sort of wrapped up together. And I mean, you know, I think I think it's critical. You you, know, you mentioned the two halves of the Wolf of Wall Street that there's the part where where they're riding high, and then there's a, the implosion, and you you kind of need to see both parts, right? It wouldn't, it wouldn't be fun to watch if he didn't get his comeuppance on some yes. level, right? Yeah. And it also um, probably would not be nearly as interesting to watch if you started halfway in, like just some rich guy and his downfall. 
Well, yeah, exactly. Because most of us aren't rich, and so it's, yeah. it's like watching that isn't like something that most people can identify with. Yeah. I mean, it starts with sort of a poor guy. It actually starts with a rich guy, then it, in Medias Race, then it goes back to a sort of poor guy, watches him get rich, then watches his downfall. Yeah, so there's definitely a whipsawing that goes back and forth, and there's something to be said for the, the, the dramatic mechanism of the fall is meant to be didactic. It's meant to be instructive. Um, but I mean, I don't know, like... <sighs> I mean, this feels like a movie that could only be made after after Wall Street has been like heavily damaged in terms of reputation and influence. Like, this is a movie that definitely does more than just thumb its nose. This is a movie that says, like, you know, these guys, these guys are villains, like all of them. Wall Street, the movie, like Wall Street, the with with Charlie Sheen and the Oliver Stone film. Um, it it definitely impugns a specific sort of excess, but there's also you know a very responsible sort of securities broker guy who is in that movie and is kind of admirable all uh, right like it's not you know charlie sheen is a bad guy like he, he he steps across a line but he at one point is on the correct side of the line and this is a movie which is like look how toxic this whole place is um, but it's, it's all a joke right it's all a, yeah, it's all yeah. a scam the whole, I mean, the it's, whole yeah. lot i mean in terms of its place within the scorsese oeuvre it's equating working in the securities business to being a part of the mafia Right, like that's that's what this is doing, sort of in terms of its stylistic heritage, um, and you know, as much as as much as uh, we may want to defend the you know the mafia for some things, I suppose, which I have difficulty saying with a straight face, like you know, most people wouldn't at a certain point in our lives wouldn't necessarily have thought of you know all people who work for investment companies as being equivalent to like hired murderers right like maybe it's not so bad but now yes it's that bad and yes people think about it that way right and then this is playing off of that um i don't know i just can't help but think that the the feelings that are being expressed that this movie is is harming the people that suffered from these things is less about the the effect of the movie and the message of the movie and more about a desire to see yourself reflected in the story rather than the person you don't like. Right. And that's, and that's the, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's not that Facebook is bad. Maybe it's that millennials are bad or something. I, I, mean, I, yes. I forget <laughs> something, something, something is bad. And I'm not quite sure, uh, which of the half dozen, you know, uh, moralizing media story templates we're going to go with. But the, the idea, the idea that this movie is bad because it does not sufficiently consider me. And what yes. about, what about my needs? Right. Matt, if you- Matt, if you work out it, you can turn any news story into evidence of how awful millennials are. <laughs> like, <laughs> Excellent. I mean, I NYTimes.com. <laughs> let's, uh, let's play this game. Um, <laughs> I, mean, I don't think it's bad that people complain, and I think we should listen to people's complaints, but I also think that we should have the courage to like provide an opposing viewpoint to a complaint, even when it comes from a place yeah. of sympathy. You know, like I mean, even if we this movie with- seems to have enough self, and you know, like like you you could hold it up against something like I don't know, like Showgirls, right? Which is it does seem to be a much purer form of exploitation, right? That to to some extent, like parts of Showgirls are just like women without their tops on for the sake of having women without their tops on. This movie seems to know exactly what it's doing and to be aware of the effect that it's having on its audience, and that's part of the that's part of the point. I would I would argue that Showgirls too knows exactly what it's doing <laughs> i mean this, this is all this is all kind of connected to what we talked before about like it's impossible to make an anti-war movie because it just looks you know because the even a war movie even a movie against war makes war look really really good mm-hmm. and it sounds like wolf of wall street is kind of the same thing 
Tuna, yeah, it's yeah. it's like it's like the Captain Phillips of of uh, <laughs> investment movies, <laughs> or the Richard the Richard the Third of investment yeah. movies, right? Because it's like think about it. you can't make an anti-war movie, you can't make an anti-excess movie, you probably can't make an anti-violence movie in general. Like I saw the Raid, and the Raid is some of the most horrific. Vi- More people get punched in the neck in the Raid than that I ever have seen before, and it's amazing. It's awesome. Uh, it's great. I can't wait for the Raid too. Um, so I don't know. It's like is it possible to make a movie that condemns something or like in the act of, of, of making a narrative, if you do it well, do you end up glorifying the very thing that, that yeah. you wanted to, to, to condemn? I mean, the, the, one of the counterpoints to that is, is it ethically, is it ethically right uh, to uh, oppose a thing by insisting that people not talk about it? Right. Is, is, is that, is that a good thing to do? To say you're not supposed to talk about this person because when you talk about this person, you make you bring attention to them, uh, right? And then you should maybe you should, maybe you should just not talk. Maybe we should just not. Maybe we should just erase that person from the picture since they're not part of the party anymore, right? I mean that's like Godwinning it, but it's like you know it's you know there's go ahead. That's, well, is there is there a corollary to Godwinning that is that has to do with Stalin? Or you know <laughs> there was, but it was erased. Eastern Front, yeah. Is that went down the memory hole? No, I mean, I, I would say my, my short answer to that is like, no, it's not. It's 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 not okay, or it's not preferable to just say that, like we're not going to talk about this thing. But I do think that you could object to the way that you talk about the thing. Yeah, you know that, that like, you can't be like, oh, you can never, you can never like depict rape in a movie, like under any circumstances, it just cannot be included in a movie. But you could definitely be like, I that that rape scene was not done in a in a you know in a, in a thoughtful, considerate way. That's true. Um, you know. Well, what, whatever, what, whatever the issue is, it's like, and that 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 you know, coming back to the Wolf of Wall Street, it's like you know, I think that that you could, you can't just be like you can make a movie about you know, uh, like in, in, you know, Wall Street scams because like there are victims involved and therefore it's not suitable for entertainment. You could just say that like you feel like this movie glorified the money and the excess and it didn't show enough that that these guys are criminals and and deserve to be thought of as criminals. Um, but but it seems like this movie. Is it, it's it certainly has got plenty of ammunition to defend itself from that charge. But I I also like Matt even even if it did right uh, not not live up to you know I don't know my my wish for how how they would be portrayed ethically right I I'm extremely wary of of anyone making the claim um, that you know that uh, we know. Before the fact, how an artist ought to ought to deal with with certain subject subject matter, right? Yeah. That's that, that's not drama. That's melodrama. You know, it's that is to say, start with a moral proposition and and you know and and tell a story that that sort of illustrates it rather than rather than kind of let things have the. Have a certain amount of uh, not not mystery, but but sort of slippage in in yeah. what they're what they're sort of allowed to mean. But Matt, aren't you on a slippery slope to basically saying like, who are you to criticize anything? If I want to make a movie that like glorifies the excess without without showing this guy as a criminal, how dare you? You know, say that that's a bad thing, or saying that you wish I had done it in a different way. Um, and it's like, uh, like, of course I have the right, like, I'm not saying that you can't make it. I'm just saying that like, I have the right to dislike it and maybe even, maybe even try to get people to boycott it. I think that's totally legitimate to do. That's how the world moves forward. I think is like trying to move like, like the, 
you know, po- popular but, but, culture but Matt, what is, if, is what totally if it's, a battleground. I mean, right, like, okay, but let's I, a thought experiment, and, you know, I, we're going to go long because we're going to get to Doge no matter what. Um, <laughs> but, but thought experiment, right, like, uh, what, what if it were a, a religiously minded protest, <laughs> right, against... Uh, a, a religiously motivated protest against a movie that glorified the gay lifestyle, right? And that's something you could totally imagine happening right, in the world. Right, and they totally have the right to do that. I don't, I don't object to them yeah. having a religiously minded protest right, against Right, but what's, what's, at, what's at stake is actually not whether anyone has has the right to do something because actually for all all the free speech uh, BS that's thrown around on, you know on uh, social media and bulletin boards on the internet, right? Like the, the instances of like violations of someone's free speech, that is to say of getting locked up or getting prevented from being able to say something are, you know, vanishingly small con- compared to the number of claims that get, get put out on, on, yeah. but, People but what's, at, what's at stake, the internet. what's at stake is the, what's at stake, uh, um, what's at stake is this sort of discursive, Right, right, if you will uh that right that is to say if if you <laughs> if you sort of reverse the political polarities and suddenly it's people who don't agree with me uh making uh you know making the claim that we should boycott something or that someone shouldn't be able to do something right um then it's bad and it's terrible and how dare they and this is you know uh you know politically retrograde and it's awful and isn't it isn't it terrible but if it's people who do agree with me about the uh, you know about the thing about whatever issue is at stake you know then it's how the world it's how the world moves forward and i'm not i i i'm sorry i don't mean to to be you know just dogging you or doging you if you will uh about you know um about the inconsistency in in your position i guess my point is um that there's an inconsistency sort of sort of built into our um sort of sort of built into this kind of assertion right that is to say once you evacuate uh God, or once you evacuate some sort of stable authority, um, you're, you're, uh, you know, I don't know, your basis, uh, your basis for the rightness of your claim becomes the assertion that your claim is right, right? Um, in, uh, in certain discourses of, of cultural meaning and, and of moral, uh, you know, of moral correctness. Um, I, I, I don't know if we're going, if we're, if we're going, uh, uh, if we're going, um, it, 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 too deep down this, down this rat hole, but I, I've, I've always thought it's an interesting thought experiment when you're, when you're making a moral you claim. Positions. Well, yeah, to, when you're making a moral claim to say, uh, and, and that you think you're entitled to make, you know, uh, to say if someone believed differently from me and made this moral claim, would I still believe that they are entitled to? Yeah, no, I, I, I would. If you don't, you don't think I actually would. No, no, I'm not. Sorry, I don't mean to. Like I said, I don't mean to make it. I don't mean to make it personally on you. I'm, yeah. I'm strawmanning. You know, with with the people I hate on right. Facebook. I think anybody but, has a right to try to organize a boycott for any reason. Like you know, like like you can. Right. It's it's very easy to hold up the things that you like. I always I always think about hairspray. 
the the movie Hairspray, uh, you know, either the musical version of the original John Waters movie, whereas the the, the main action of the plot involves a, a, a dance, a live dance sort of American bandstand type show, and it's in the 1960s in Baltimore, and it is there are only uh, white dancers, and there's one day a month called Negro Day, where it's just all the black dancers, and there's a push to integrate the show um, and have the white dancers and black dancers dancing together all the time, and there is like political action, and there's like literally a rally at the at the uh, the TV station, and there's threats of boycotts, and eventually the show does integrate, and it's held up as a big, and of course it's, you know, 2020 hindsight, and it's easy to say, you can imagine at the time, if there was an internet at the time, all the people, you know, who were big fans of the show and kind of liked it segregated, getting on the internet and being like, who are you to trying to shut this show down, this entertainment that a lot of people love, just because you don't like it, why don't you just not watch it, why do you have to change it and destroy it, just because it doesn't conform to the way that you think the world should be? Um, you know, and, and right. And, 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 and the, but the, the fact is like, you know, anybody has the right to, to criticize anybody. Um, and if they have enough weight behind them, then, then things change. And that's, that's what makes a culture a culture is that like you have, you have norms and you have taboos and those things sort of are, are, are slippery and, and evolve over time, um, and get, and get fought out in, in movies and TV shows and music and all that stuff. And, well, and in, the, and in the courts and in, you know, a, a whole bunch of other uh, kinds of discourse drink, but um, <laughs> uh, sure, Matt, isn't that yeah. really mob rule? <laughs> right, and you can you can imagine the opposite of the hairspray scenario, right? Where there was a show where there's like you know gay dancers and there's gay dancers all together, and there's a bunch of people boycotting and threatening not to not to sh- ever go to Kmart again if Kmart ever advertises on that show. And I would be against such a boycott, but I would totally uh, I, I would not go and say that this boycott was an attempt to stifle free speech. I think the boycott is free speech. Um, and I think that's what people on the internet like miss a lot, right? The, and so, that, like, yeah, a... the people on, on Facebook that are that are criticizing the Wolf of Wall Street, I agree with you that they are probably wrong and missing the point, and probably speaking about something that they haven't they haven't seen the movie and they don't really understand it. But they totally have the right to post those messages on Facebook. Yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. I, I just think I think the more specific thing I object to is um, the requirement that all parts of an entertainment. Um, contain the entire specific depiction and argument that is required by the person, right? Yeah. And it's uh, like, I mean, that's that's sort of like the sub, just to sort of narrow it down, you know, to go micro on it for a second. It's like the specific complaint that I get really tired of is this movie is going to show X. I am not okay with any movie showing X, no matter what else happens in the movie. And it's like, well, we can't, the movie has a series of sequential images and sequential sounds. There are going to be things that come before X and after X. And, and more than anything, like this, I think about dogma, right? And it's like, you know, all the, the Catholic groups that, that, that uh, protested dogma, when dogma was probably the kindest movie to Catholicism that came out in like that entire decade, right? Like as far as, as, far as mainstream movies go in terms of like conjuring fond feelings for Catholicism and like connecting with Catholics. But just because it happened to have parts that people objected to, they insisted that the whole thing must be 
be boycotted. And I don't say they don't have a right to do it, but it's that like you know you should get out of my face is what I'm saying. Is that like you know you're being rude by in, by like coming up in my grill, and I will I will decline you politely, but the second time I will not be polite. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean you know I say these things. I say that like, and also we can say well a boycott isn't really going to do anything, right? Because you know the movie is going to make a certain amount of money. Um, you know, and like, you know, boycotting isn't really going to affect it. Oh, Ben, you wanted to say something. I interrupted you. Oh, no, no worries. I was just going to, I was going to say the kind of the Belinky's point of like, sure, you always have the right to have a boy. And that, that's a, that is speech. There's a, a good term which it, to talk about this idea, which is the idea of a privileged first speaker, that people who claim first speech are basically like, well, my speech was free speech. Your speech in response is just stifling mine. Right, when in reality, exactly. the order, when in reality, the order shouldn't matter. Anybody speaking. Though, in what I would say, though, is there has to be room for saying, I disagree with this statement, but a boycott would be silly. Or that a boycott <laughs> is unjustified. Yeah. Or that a, boy, a boycott is excessive. That is, that like, is if, great, if, Ben. Yeah, because... So, so what I mean is, like, if a company says, I think we should round up all the minorities and kill them, that's a boycott. If they say, I think the marginal tax rate should be 1% less than it is now... Probably not boycott. <laughs> and then there's obviously room in the middle to discuss about where a, a p- particular position falls. I, I think you're I th- sure. And I think you're right that like that we don't admit enough um, in, in this kind of discussion that certain things are silly. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know some silly things. Can I talk about some silly things? <laughs> speaking, of, speaking, speaking of silly things, of silly things having silly, to do with, with <laughs> having Doge to do Dogecoin, 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 Dogecoin. Oh, we got a we segue, guys. Right there. So, oh. so Pete, I understand that this podcast would be morally reprehensible unless it contained a mention of the victims of the Dogecoin of the Doge Wallet robbery. Yes, uh, of Christmas 2013. Yes, so I'm going to call it the greatest Doge Wallet robbery. Uh, great <laughs> does not do it justice. Much robbery, such heist. Okay. Uh. <laughs> okay. Wait. 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 I I have to slow you down. Um, what? Is if I were to to uh, search Wikipedia for Doge parenthesis meme parenthesis, yes. what what would I find there? You would find it is a picture of a Shiba Inus dog uh, that, and this is a very specific picture of this dog that tends to have the interior monologue of the dog illustrated in brightly colored Comic Sans font uh, all across the picture. So it, I would describe it more than merely a meme, sort of a style of meme, right? It, it extends that you have you have the. Uh, it's a meme where there's multiple different captions, often of different sizes and different orientations and different colors. And by the by the uh, way, we mean meme in the the fortranic sense, and not in the Richard Dawkins, you know, yeah. original the selfish gene sense, right? Yeah. I mean, we've made that argument. We know what a real meme is and what a real meme isn't. So I guess we should just use the word the way that people will understand it. We mean like an image macro. It's an image macro. Um, and yeah, and so it's a picture of a dog, and it it is the the misspelling D O G E is a reference to a Homestar Runner cartoon that, be, and the reference became attached to this picture.
Adventure through 4chan, right? And it's uh, and yeah, and it's just a dog, and it says things that have uh, kind of malapropisms in them and, and incorrect grammar and spelling, <laughs> um, as all great pictures of pets do, because pets are incapable of spelling, um, but are capable of a variety of their complex syntactical acts. I'm, I'm, I mean, this is I can has cheeseburger 2.0. Is basically what this is. If we're only at 2.0 now, I am amazed <laughs> to see what the world has in store for it. Was it like 1.4 million 375,666? Fair enough. And now it's 2.0. It's a big upgrade, man. No wonder my desktop was stalled out for so long loading it. Um, but yes, so it is a picture of a dog, is what it is, with, with a silly looking dog, but a nice looking dog. Uh, it doesn't really look that silly, it just looks inquisitive. Um, or, or, or a little bit pondering, but not of anything weighty. Um, so, what do you do with something like this but base a currency off of it, right? <laughs> so, uh, and so, I mean, was that the question you were going to follow it up with? Because that was why I feel yes, like... Yes, so what is, what is if, if that is Doge, what is Dogecoin? Uh, Dogecoin is a, a kind of a joke... Uh, kind of a joke. A seven million dollar joke. Yes, exactly. That was uh, that's that's basically it's that a lot of the code that is necessary to run Bitcoin and have Bitcoin exist is open source. And Bitcoin, in case you, you're not familiar, is a an online. It's a largely online cryptocurrency where the the backing, quote unquote, of the currency it comes from the fact that uh, creating units of the currency and transferring them depends upon. Uh, computers solving complex uh, mathematical problems, right? And so, on, so the system is peer-to-peer and self-corrects and tracks these specific solutions to these problems, right, which take time for the computers to churn out. And so a cryptocurrency is mined over time as computers discover solutions to the problems, and then through the peer-to-peer uh, recognition systems, it, it sort of reconciles transactions and tracks who it possesses the given uh, coins that are created from this. But you can make your own one. Like Bitcoin is the big one and it has a certain amount of liquidity and because of its its use as in money laundering and drug dealing all over the place <laughs> and also in speculative investments that you probably shouldn't do. Uh, but then again, like you can have that conversation in the comments if you want, but I certainly can't offer you any investment advice. Yeah, this is not right, right right. This podcast does not rise to the level of investment in finance. No, and neither does the movie The Wolf of Wall Street for that matter. Um, <laughs> but but investing in, <laughs> investing in Dogecoin is kind of like penny stocks times a million. Uh, that- so you mean a million pennies, Pete? That's like $10,000. They're just saying about hedge funds that they're picking up pennies in front of a steamroller, uh, which really what that tells me is that I need a steamroller and a bunch of pennies. Uh, and a bunch of Ivy college graduates who don't ask questions. Uh, but no... Um, no, Dogecoin was a Bitcoin clone, sort of a Hydrox of Bitcoin, right? It's like a GoBots of Bitcoin that was made with a picture of the Doge on it, with the Shiba Inu, with the doggy. It's on the actual picture of – there's not an actual physical coin, but there's like a circle that's associated with it that has a picture on it, like most currencies do. And, uh, and, and so it has a picture of him, and it says, wow, uh, such coin, so currency. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and at one point, people were like, oh, wow, I, I will, there's this like self-sustaining industry of people who try to pump up, pump and dump Bitcoin on you. We're just like, everything should be Bitcoin. Everything should be Bitcoin. By the way, I own a bunch of Bitcoin, but because it's unregulated, I don't have to disclose this. Right? Like, hey, you should you put all your money in Bitcoin, and I'm going to make a lot of money off that personally because then I'm going to sell. Like, you know, that kind of thing. And there's a lot of evangelists who like it for ideological reasons and whatnot. But people were so psyched about Bitcoin that when Dogecoin showed up, at one point, it was at like $400 
a Dogecoin, which is crazy. Totally crazy. Now it is at like thousandths of a cent per Dogecoin, uh-huh. if that, right? Like, um, and, and so what is it? Is uh, as of December fifteenth, one Dogecoin was worth about uh, what is it? Point zero 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 two U.S. dollars, um, and a total market cap of one point four five million U.S. dollars um, had been mined in Dogecoin. Uh, my sister had four of them that were given to her by a friend who ran a server that mined them for S's and G's. Uh, yes, Matt? <laughs> no, I was – like, you know, it, it doesn't sound like much when you talk about one. But you're saying that this fictional currency with the picture of the dopey dog on it is worth $1.45 million of real money. Yeah, no, uh, when, I, when I said $7 million, that's the actual current – I just checked it. That is the current market cap of – Dogecoin. So, so that, is the, million that is the nominal value of all the Dogecoins in existence. <laughs> and I say nominal in big capital letters. Yeah. And like uh, literally some, some dudes created this for, for the lulls, is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, exactly. Why, why um, are we not creating the Otis as a unit of currency right now? <laughs> uh, I can't participate in that because I'm regulated, but maybe you guys can do that. I, I saw something on, I saw like a Twitter or something asking like, when will it be that you can just go to a website, input an icon and produce a cryptocurrency <laughs> just by like pressing a button? <laughs> I mean, you could probably do it now. And the only probably. reason I haven't done it is just because it wouldn't be popular enough. Like it's not, <laughs> it's not like, it's not quite as fun enough as Quop is really the answer. <laughs> um, but yeah, but here's the thing is you thought it was hilarious that there was this ridiculous, highly volatile fake currency with a picture of a dog on it that's backed by nothing. Um, but and I don't want to say backed by nothing because obviously I, I, then I'm guilty of the very sins that I, I choose to impugn when I talk about like people complaining about fiat currency and whatnot. Yeah, it's like but, are we on the gold standard. Uh, you're always on the gold standard in my heart. Man. Uh, <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> um, but. Uh, often you would want to store your cryptocurrency on your own hard drive, right? Like that's, that's sort of how it works. But there are services that pop up that let you store your cryptocurrency because your cryptocurrency can, your ownership of the cryptocurrency concern is, is consists of information. So it has to be stored somewhere. So you can store it on your own hard drive, in which case it is as secure as your computer is, uh, from things like water or the roof falling down, or you can store it somewhere else, uh, like a, a, an online wallet service that, that creates wallets for you and stores them on its servers. And if those servers aren't particularly well protected, they could all be stolen from tens of thousands of people all at the same time, which is what (laughs) happened to Dogecoin last week, which is 21 million Dogecoins were stolen with a market cap of nearly $5. No, with a market cap of, I think it was like a couple tens of thousands of dollars due to like a hacking at Doge Wallet, the largest uh, off, like largest cloud storage of Dogecoin currency. My sister lost all four of her Dogecoins, people, on Christmas. She found this out on Christmas. I, uh, you look, I don't know who you are. Um, but such set of specific skills, <laughs> such find you, such I mean, kill you. Is like, somebody right now is writing sort of an Ocean's Eleven style techno thriller about the great Dogecoin heist of 2013. Yep. Um, so here's here's something that's kind of novel. Doge Wallet has promised to fully refund all lost Dogecoins. So this is sort of like somebody breaking into like a giant bank 
taking all the money from all the people and the bank being like, yeah, we'll give it, we'll give it all back. It's I mean, not like, we, it's isn't, isn't that FDIC insurance? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's insurance. Insurance policies are insurance. You pay into them and they have a fund and then the fund pays out insurance. This is just being like, oh, my bad. We'll find the money somewhere. I'm not sure where. <laughs> like, We'll just give it to you. No, I, the, the stolen Dogecoins, according to the site I'm looking at, are worth about $12,000. Um, which is not a lot, but might be a lot. I mean, it's a lot to be, it's a lot to be sitting in nonsense, right? Like, Isn't this pretty much like the last part of it's a wonderful life, right? Where, where, where the uncle sort of loses the money and they're like the regulators show up and they're like, Oh, the, the Doge wallet's got to go to federal prison. And then like, everybody's like, you know what? We're going to come up with all those Doge coins. <laughs> We're going to drop them into a virtual bucket and save Christmas. Yeah. 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 I mean, why is, Do- why are Doge coins funny? What is it about Dogecoins that make them funny? There's my question to you guys. Why is so, this so funny? I, th- I think it's because, like, this is the future. Like, we are living, <laughs> we are living in a world where there is an actual value based on a picture of a dog. <laughs> so the funny thing about Dogecoin is not that they don't matter, but that they matter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the funny part, because we always knew they mattered on some level, and we are sort of rediscovering and surprising ourselves with this truth that we already understood, which is that this, we're already through the, the looking glass on this one, Boyos. Uh, oh, geez, Louise. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, uh, it does rate, I mean, the, the more serious questions are, oh, like, if Bitcoin were to be more widely used and people were to use cloud wallet systems for the storage and transfer of Bitcoin... Could that not be a security risk for the use of Bitcoin? And that's an interesting question. I don't think that we're going to come to a good answer to it. Uh, you know, the silly, the silly questions are like, such hack, so Grinch, right, as the site says. <laughs> the fact that it happened on Christmas. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Well, maybe here we are. Here's a good example, right? Is that like, is there not a certain allure a certain like joy and glee that we have at the at the hucksters or the at the like hack the planet Armageddon hacker masters who managed to steal all the Bitcoin. Is there not something that's somewhat alluring about the people who staged this daring heist? Well, what what I can say is that your sister can write one heck of an article for the Village Voice. <laughs> How come all the articles about Dogecoin aren't talking about the college students who own several thousands of a cent worth of Dogecoin? <laughs> Their brief moment of pain as they find out that it is no longer in a file that they didn't know existed somewhere. <laughs> but here's the thing: like in a way, the, the the internet loves to amuse itself, right? And the internet's favorite subject is itself. And you get the feeling that like every step of the the evolution of the Dogecoin story, from like the creation of the dogecoin to the people who are like i will purchase some of those dogecoins <laughs> to the people who started dogewallet.com it's like i will start a bank for the doge and even the people who hacked it you kind of feel like yes maybe they wanted the money but they also like probably thought that it was like kind of funny to steal <laughs> these you know it's like the whole thing is like an elaborate it's it, it's like an elaborate uh, it's like an improv anywhere thing <laughs> that, that's <laughs> happening in the you know that the whole internet can participate in so like anybody who treats dogecoin seriously is just making the joke funnier <laughs> including including the, the thieves including the techno thieves it's like you know because how many how many funny articles like how how much joy has the dogecoin has brought to the internet right <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's you sort of feel much- like 
right? Like whatever money was lost in the heist of the Dogecoin is like, like, like in a way, like that's the reason why Dogecoins were created, so people could take them seriously and steal them, and then the internet could laugh about, like, you know, look at this thing, high five, high five, internet. So here's the question: What is worth more to you, an infinitesimal amount of physical gold stored in a remote location, or the joy in the eyes of a child? <laughs> What's real? What's real? I don't know. Is our dogs real? Uh, they don't. I don't know. If you spell, is a dog spelled wrong still a dog? Is that even real? What if we were to spell dollars with only one L? Would they cease to be dollars? Every time a Doge coin is mined, an angel gets its wings. Yeah, that's true. Or a libertarian gets its wings. One of the Every, yeah. <laughs> well, guys, all I can say is is uh, such podcast so over. <laughs> so, um, if you would like to uh, add um, comments, however contentious, to our notoriously civil uh, trademark uh, comment section, uh, you can email uh, podcastsoverthinking.com. You can call or text 203-285-6401, or you can leave a comment on the show notes for this episode. Uh, thanks, everyone, for making our holiday uh, Amazon promotion go well. It uh, was went better than last year. We exceeded... Uh, our our goal from last year, and uh, you're going a long way towards powering over thinking it for 2014, so we really appreciate that. Uh, and and because you have succeeded, we'll be back next week. Yeah, it was touch and go for a while. <laughs> <laughs> we were just going to cut it up before we even got to 300. Um, but we'll be back next week and next year. With more Overthinking It podcasts until then, you can visit us on www.overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Such Feierstein! Firesteed Kurt saying <laughs> Hobby Coin. <laughs> oh, get on. Get on. <laughs> yeah. How many how many Harvey coins do you need to go to see Kinky Boots? <laughs> how many do you want? <laughs>